Welcome to the Wednesday Evening Gathering, a time to pause briefly to reflect and to pray together, ending, as is now our tradition, with the ancient office of Compline. Throughout this week, the link uniting our reflections is the figure of Pinocchio, star of the second-ever Disney animated film produced in 1940, from the score of which we've been enjoying some of those classic musical numbers day by day. As I said to my colleagues this morning, it's astonishing how evocative of childhood these musical numbers are. And to any of you for whom that is not true because you're too young, all I can say is that film music has become more sophisticated since the 1940s. Why Pinocchio, you ask? Well, if you've listened to the first two podcasts of the week, you'll know the answer. But in short, for any who haven't, and if not, why not? because of a classic paradox which bears his name, the Pinocchio Paradox. A paradox is a statement or a position in thinking that pulls us in contradictory directions at one and the same time. In the history of human thinking, paradox has sometimes been little more than a logical puzzle demonstrating the thinker's cleverness, but, and this is the important thing, Equally often, paradox has been used as a way of exploring some of the deep tensions in human living, and thus in human spirituality. A friend of mine in our Oxford days was both suspicious and dismissive of recourse to paradox in Christian theology. Oh, not another paradox he'd grown after a lecture. New paradox washes whiter than white. And of course we knew what he meant. Sometimes claiming that something is a paradox is a way of opting out of thinking about it. But of course what paradoxes are meant to do is precisely the opposite. Rather than shut us down, they're meant to draw us in deeper. And ultimately to invite us to acknowledge the limitation of rationality when we come to speak, for example, of God's mysterious being and the mystery of our life in and with God. There are a number of great examples, major examples of paradox in Christian theology. The Trinity, that the three persons of the Godhead are distinct and each is fully God and yet there is only one God. In the Incarnation, the transcendent and immutable God became a man in time and space. The idea of the hypostatic union, Christ is one person with both a divine nature and a human nature and is thus omniscient and limited in knowledge, omnipresent and limited in location, impeccable yet susceptible to temptation, and so on. And, of course, the claim that God has infallible foreknowledge of human free choice. These are not things just to accept without thinking. Dogma's not meant to be that. Rather, they are invitations theologically into the contemplation of that which is beyond our comprehension, because God's existence and God's love lie beyond our ability to contain things, although always with the gracious invitation to us to try. So this week with Pinocchio we enter into some entry-level paradoxes from our tradition. On Monday the paradoxical relationship between giving and receiving, which is mysterious and non-linear. On Tuesday, yesterday, the paradox that somehow the greatest are those who serve in a universe in which the mighty are brought down and the humble raised up. And today, this evening, Wednesday, 
I want us to examine the paradox that what God reveals to us of God's self is precious and to be cherished and to be held close as of infinite value, and yet somehow at the same time is to be taken and shared liberally with the whole world without differentiation. Here are some words from St. Matthew chapter 7. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and return and maul you. Back in Oxford, when we were on our preaching course, we used to have to go out to some unsuspecting parish in Oxfordshire Sunday by Sunday, and one of us would have to preach to the congregation while another of us filmed the sermon. On the Sunday, we were encouraged to give feedback to each other, which was always faintly encouraging and anodyne. But then on Tuesday morning, we had to sit through the whole sermon again on the television and then get the staff's feedback, which invariably was more testing. I remember one classmate who was a fairly shy fellow being ripped to shreds by the staff after they listened to what was clearly, in their view, an inadequate sermon. As we left the common room, which is where the review took place, I turned to him and said, Are you okay? I remember he responded quickly, Matthew 7, 6, pearls before swine. And I confess that very occasionally when confronted by someone who clearly didn't like a sermon of mine, I've quietly thought the same. But of course that's not precisely the context for Jesus saying in St Matthew's Gospel. In fact, this is a perplexing saying in Matthew 7, coming as it does in the middle of a set of sayings about avoiding judgment. Judge not that ye be not judged. Tricky, on the one hand, to remain open to others then, and at the same time to be given permission to think of others as swine who don't deserve to have your pearls shared with them. I doubt in truth whether these words about pearls and swine ever crossed the lips of Jesus. I think they're Matthew's invention. While I have no problem in imagining Jesus encouraging others to remain open and non-judgmental, of course. In the 1960s, a rather famous counsellor-cum-therapist invented the phrase unconditional positive regard, the quality we need, he said, to bring to anyone with whom we have to do. And although he was not speaking in a Christian context, I like to think he might have been. St Matthew's Church was, of course, caught up in endless conflict with the synagogue across the road. On the one side were the Christians who believed that Jesus was the Messiah and the fulfilment of the ancient promise of God to the Jewish people, Matthew's church. On the other side of the street was the Jewish synagogue, those who remained unconvinced about Jesus being the Messiah and taught publicly that Matthew and his Jewish friends across the road were in complete error. It must have been a bit like there being no love lost between Holy Trinity Brompton and the Brompton Oratory. This tense existence is one reason experts give for this strange saying about pearls and swine. In St Matthew's mind there were clearly those who were properly in the fold and those who were conflictually outside and you needed to be clear where you stood. Other experts, I should say, see the saying not as a tribal expression, but as a metaphorical outworking of the verses earlier in St Matthew chapter 7, but you can argue it either way. What is paradoxical is that the good news of Jesus Christ comes to us as something precious and life-giving and life-changing, and at the same time as something we need 
to share. Go out into all the world and proclaim the good news. Give to anyone who asks of you. Do not judge. How do we hold these contrasted dynamics in creative tension? Is our life in Christ, with its focus on cherishing all that is precious that is given to us and shared among us, for which, of course, we create standards of membership of the church or admission after confirmation to communion, is this something that we need to cherish carefully and preserve? Or rather, is it something that is so life-giving that we need to tear down any barriers created around it and share it liberally? Well, discuss, and in a moment I hope you will discuss it in a few moments before Compline. In the end, though, I think that this is one of those paradoxical tensions that we can't ultimately solve, but that we need to keep wrestling with. If we don't value our pearls, as it were, we won't find them worth sharing. If we don't see what we share in Sunday by Sunday as vitally important, it will be of no worth to us. But, on the other hand, if we just share without thinking about what we're sharing, then we risk devaluing what we have. So here are some questions for your discussion over the next seven to ten minutes in smaller groups. And please don't leave at this point. Stay and talk. You can remain silent if you need to. Here's question one. Is your personal priority cherishing your own life of faith? Or is your priority being evangelical and sharing what you have with others? The second question. What gets in the way of our sharing the third question, how good are we at St Paul's as a congregation in holding the tension between the tradition and life we sense is valuable and the work of sharing what we have with those alongside whom we live day by day? And if none of those three questions provoke animated discussion, here's one to have in reserve. If what we have at St Paul's is so precious, why isn't St. Paul's packed Sunday by Sunday? OK, over to Phil to send you into groups. And afterwards, let's pray the words of Compline together. <laughs> <laughs>